This episode is brought to you by the free elementary music newbie guide. We all know that you can't learn it all in four years, but the sad reality is that many new music teachers don't feel prepared for the elementary music classroom. In this free guide, we'll work through four of the most important things when it comes to being successful as an elementary music teacher. To grab your guide, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com newbie. Again, that's thatmusicteacher.com N-E-W-B-I-E. You're listening to That Music Podcast with Bryson Tarvin, the curriculum designer and educational consultant behind That Music Teacher and the Elementary Music Summit. Each week, Bryson and his guests will dive into the reality of being an elementary music teacher and how music can truly be transformative in the lives of the students you serve. Show notes and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at thatmusicteacher.com. Hello and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am so excited for this episode because it is a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I have Lori Peterson on and she's going to be talking, we're going to be talking together about ADHD and how that can affect students, how that can affect learners, how that can affect adults. Um, And I'm really excited to dive into this conversation. So Lori, thank you so much for chatting with me today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, Lori, I would love if you were to introduce yourself to my audience. So who are you and what do you do and, and, you know, who are the clients that you typically serve? Sure. So Lori Peterson, I am um, executive director, founder of Diagnostic Learning Services. We do assessments um, for uh, students and adults for learning disabilities and ADHD. And I've been um, doing this now privately for, oh my gosh, like 17 years, which makes me sound really old, but... It's been a long time, but we've seen lots of kids and lots of adults, and and we assess for things like dyslexia, um, dysgraphia, math disabilities, but we see a lot of people for ADHD. Awesome. And I would love for you to dive in a little bit about what got you interested in this type of area. You know, why did you decide to um, create this place where you can, you know, help serve students and help diagnose diagnose people with ADHD and other neurodiversities? Well, interestingly enough, um, I have ADHD. Um, I was not diagnosed till much later in life, but school was very hard for me. I was a terrible student. Um, I didn't know why I struggled and I was incredibly frustrated. And I think, you know, ultimately somewhere deep in the recesses of my brain, um, I knew that that these these are the people I wanted to help. And so I actually started my career as a special education teacher and working in the classroom with kids who learn differently. And I loved it. I loved helping. I loved seeing the light bulb go off. But I always wanted to know, but why? Why is this hard for you? Why do you struggle with this? And that's when I went on to get more education and learn how to assess and diagnose and really understand sort of that framework of why, why individuals struggle with different activities. Um, whether it be learning or executive functioning, um, organizing, things like that. And so, you know, my own struggles, I think, led me to this. Now, I feel like I have such an understanding of, you know, the struggles that people come to us with. And I, I've experienced it. I've lived it. I have a, Now I have a child with it. I have a husband with it. And so um, it, it makes my job, it makes it a lot easier to do no, because I live it. I live it. So not only do I understand it from a professional clinical standpoint, but I understand it from a day-to-day living it standpoint. And I think that that makes a really big difference. 
I, I'm a little bit selfishly so excited about this conversation <laughs> because I myself was diagnosed with ADHD as a child and, you know, was on medication, all these and that. And then for whatever reason, when I decided to go off to undergrad, I just decided that I was all better and I had grown out of it, which I'm literally with just within the last couple of years, I'm realizing, hey, that's not quite the case. You're just dealing with things in a not so great way. Um, so <laughs> I'm kind of doing a lot of unlearning and relearning what it means to be an adult with ADHD. Um, so I'm really excited for this conversation. Well, good. Before we get... It's pretty common. We actually, I will tell you though, sorry to interrupt, but I will tell you, it's pretty common that people think that they're going to grow out of it. Um, and we've had a lot of, of adults come back to us and say, you know, I'm ready now to actually tackle this. I was diagnosed as a second grader. Um, and I dealt with it then, or my parents dealt with it, but then, you know, same story, went off to college, thought everything was great, but really it wasn't. I just had different, I developed different strategies, but now in the work life or running a family or whatever, now I'm, things are kind of falling apart. And I think, you know, it never really did go away. Yeah, so my my realization was um, right before COVID and the world blew you know blew up, I moved in with a BCBA who is very familiar with neurodiversities and just in our in our experience of living together and being quarantined together, she's like, there are some things you do that are are very very on on brand for ADHD, which got me asking a lot more questions. Um, and then I'm going around exactly kind of what you were saying is where I've had these strategies, but they're not quite working, and everything is just kind of falling apart around me in certain ways, um, other than more than none. So I'm really glad to finally realize that hey, let's start taking some steps to um, to remedy that and to start making those positive ADHD choices. That's smart. Good idea. So before we get too far into the weeds, <laughs> I would love for you to let me know, in your opinion at least, what do, what do you think it means to be neurodiverse? You know, I think neurodiversity is it's kind of what it sounds like. It's just that your brain looks at things differently. You think about things differently. You, you come at it from different angles. You know, everybody thinks differently. But I think people that have um, things like ADHD, autism, even dyslexia and learning disabilities – you've developed ways um, to attack things and strategies that are different than what a neurotypical person does. And so I look at it as just a brain that works a little bit different. I love that. I love how it's just like, Pretty hey, simple. Yeah, I mean, like, I love how it's, you know, everyone is neurodiverse. So if you think about it, you know, everyone thinks about things differently. Everyone perceives right. the world differently. It's, it's not an us versus them. It's just, hey, we're all a little bit different. Absolutely. So when it comes to neurodiversities, especially if you kind of zoom in a little bit more and thinking about ADHD or learning disabilities and things like that, do you have any statistics about the amount of students who might be neurodiverse in one way or another? I think with ADHD, we're looking at probably about 10 to 12 percent of the population, which it's a pretty big number if you think about it. Yeah, that, that is a lot. That's a lot of people. So I think yeah. that that's another thing that, you know, there's a lot of people out in the world that are having similar struggles as, you know, someone with ADHD. Um, mm -hmm. But for whatever reason, still our society sometimes and our educational systems even aren't necessarily designed for um, helping these people excel. So I'm really excited to dive into some actionable things that we can do um, and that our, us music teachers can do to apply into our classrooms. Sure. I would love for you to, before we talk about what ADHD actually is and, you know, how we can get, how does the diagnosis work, what might ADHD look like in a school setting? 
You know, that's a great question because I really believe that no two people with ADHD look exactly the same. And I think when, when we talk about ADHD in a classroom setting, the first thing we think about is the little boy who can't stay in his seat. He's falling out of his chair. His desk is a mess. He's yelling out answers. He's standing up. He's moving around. And yeah, that is probably a kid with ADHD. But there are lots of other presentations that don't look as obvious and they're much harder to weed out. So a lot of times the you might see a child staring out the window, um, daydreaming, and that still is, is at least visibly obvious. But then there's a lot of kids who you can't tell. They're looking right at you. They're, you think they're listening, but they're a million miles away because they are thinking about seven other things. And so usually what we try to look for are kids that are struggling academically because if you're not paying attention, you're going to fall behind and you're gonna miss instruction, and you're gonna struggle with the assignment. You're not getting your work completed in class. You're always having to take stuff home. You have trouble following directions. You're always needing repetition or reminders. Um, and you struggle, you have more difficulty with social interactions and knowing how to appropriately socialize with your peers. So while that one child who's a mess and, and hyper and obvious has a lot of those issues, that little girl that's sitting in the front who looks like she's paying attention, who's sweet, and you're giving her all kinds of extra help, sometimes teachers don't even realize they're doing it, but they're actually giving those kids a lot of help because they are so compliant um, that the ADHD kind of really falls under the radar. It's never seen because the student is making it. Um, interestingly, we have a lot of parents that will call us and say, my child does great at school. The teacher thinks they're an angel, but they come home and they are a hot, hot mess because those are the kids that are pleasers and they want to do well and they're working so hard, 10 times harder than their peers to hold it together all day, to be focused, to do their very best, but they come home and they're exhausted and they completely crumble. And they, you know, I've had parents say they, they beat up their siblings or they cry or they yell and scream and fight with us because they're just done. And all of their mental energy has gone to just holding it together all day to be that student that the teacher can say, oh, they're an angel. Um, and, and believe it or not, I know we'll get into some co co comorbidities, but that creates a lot of anxiety when you're trying so hard to always please, 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 and you can't. It's incredibly frustrating. So, you know, back to the original question, no two kids are going to look the same. You're going to see a, a wide variety of symptoms so I always, you know, talk about the academic achievement because that's what you can see. You can see a student who's turning in their work that they have careless mistakes or they didn't get it finished, or you can see that they just didn't understand the directions, even though they were clearly explained. And then you've got your students who are the chatty Cathy's who can't stop talking, who are completely disorganized, who forget something at home or at school every single day. Um, those are all characteristics of somebody with ADHD. You brought up so many good points, and I just felt seen. <laughs> like thinking about, I mean, I thinking about my own childhood, the amount of four o'clock, five o'clock meltdowns because I was just mm -hmm. done um, is a very real thing. But I love that you also mentioned that you know ADHD isn't just the person that's bouncing off the walls; that it can look in so many different ways. Because I think, especially 
in the music classroom where we tend to be a little bit more more active anyway, it can be harder for stu- for for teachers to understand, you know, which oh, students sure. might might need some some modifications or even just the extra support. Uh, like you talked yeah. about, you know, the, the the student up front, you know, is trying to be super compliant. Is it, it, we never know. It can be hard for those students that just need a little extra support because they're not the ones that are bouncing off the wall. So I love that you brought that up. Um, But I'd love to kind of shift a little bit more towards the medical side. Um, What is ADHD when it comes to uh, the diagnosis or, you know, what, what is it? So it's really just, gosh, it's hard to put an exact description or exact definition, but really it's the way the brain is developed. It's a developmental piece of your brain that um, I, I tell parents all the time, it's more of like a chemical imbalance. You know, there's not enough dopamine, the neurotransmitters aren't firing, and you're just not able to stay focused in a boring task. Now, another key indicator is that something that's interesting or fun stimulates those chemicals. It's almost like when you get endorphins um, and, and kids are able to play video games or I've had girls that love to read. They could read books all day long, but the minute you make them do schoolwork, it's like, no, thank you. Because then that level of chemical um, dopamine in your brain drops, and now I can't stay focused because I don't have enough of what it takes in my brain to power through something that's boring. I mean, I have people all the time say, well, gosh, everyone struggles to stay focused when it's boring, sure, but not to the level of somebody with ADHD. And so... That is really what stimulant medications do. They stimulate those chemicals to get them to a level that's typical, average, right? We're not trying to get kids high. We're just trying to get them to normal so that they can focus on a task and see it through to completion. They can listen to a lecture and they're able to block out distractions. Whereas somebody who is not, um, who has those lower levels of chemicals, lower, you know, not enough dopamine, neurotransmitters aren't connecting, um, they're so easily distracted. Any little thing, someone tapping their pencil, someone walking by outside the window, it draws their attention, and now they've lost focus on what what the task at hand. I I really think that ADHD is so misunderstood because of what you just said there. Well, everyone, you know, everyone, mm-hmm. no one likes focusing when it's boring, because it can mm-hmm. look like it, what it what it can look like, and what I've often seen it look like is a student just doesn't want to do it, and they're just deciding to do do this instead or to focus on this instead. But that, that key word of deciding is sometimes it's not really a decision that it's not really no. presented to them in decision in their brain. I mean, yeah. when, especially when you're coming to impulse, thinking about impulsivity. Um, I, I think about, you know, my students when they're sitting ne- sitting right next to a bunch of drums and yeah, every once in a while there's going to be a kid that touches the drums. I get it. I feel it. And then that's kind of where it kind of right. shifts our our awareness of, you know, this isn't necessarily saying that child has decided that they're going to focus on the drums. It's that because they might have a chemical imbalance, it's really, really hard. And if doing that all day is really exhausting, like we've talked about before. It is. And I think, you know, and I think that's the really um, important part to understand is that none of these behaviors are on purpose. There really aren't too many kids out there that are truly, you know, lazy or that truly don't care. They all want to do well. It's just that some of these kids don't know how. And so it comes across as if they don't care or don't want to or are lazy when really they just they just need strategies. They just need support. They just need help. They want to do well. Most kids want to please. They just don't know how. 
I, I just this week I had a student that it's one of my kindergartners and you know, kindergarten at the beginning of the year is always a little bit wild to begin with. Oh, this right. particular student knee is constantly moving. I mean, there's definitely he's always wanting to get that physical physical output. And you know, he he's he really likes to interrupt and things like that. And I talked to him after after class one I was like, hey, does it feel like sometimes you get in trouble for things that you really can't control? And the look on his face, like he thought it looked like he was about to break down because, mm-hmm. because he's like, yes. And I'm like, yeah, that, that's really frustrating because I, I, I think about this because I was that kid that, you know, I think about how often I would get in trouble for something that I really didn't feel like I could control. And again, you want to be a pleaser. No one wants to be in trouble. And no. so by, and I love how you brought teaching strategies because that's exactly what I did with a student. I said, Hey, I have a couple of these fidgets over here. If you ever feel like you just need to move, um, you can, or, or if you're, or do something like that, feel free to grab one of those or feel free to stand up and you and stay in your area and do that. And this, the, the next time I had him, he was a completely different kid. Was he still yeah. moving around? Yes, but he was able to do so in a way that wasn't getting in the way of his learning or the learning of anyone else. And he also yeah. just looked a lot happier. And for me, that is the important part right there. He felt like well, he was being accepted for him, and that was what really yeah. made my heart fall. You understood him. You know, I, I always ask parents, I'm like, you know, do you, or teachers, you know, when, you, when the child does something and you say, well, why did you do that? And they say, I don't know. It is so incredibly frustrating for a parent or a teacher to hear that. But the truth is, they really don't know. For sure. They don't, it, it was an impulse. And you know, five seconds after they did it, they were like, oh, man, I wasn't supposed to do that. But it was too late. Yeah. Um, you know, I often, one of my recommendations for, for my students that have ADHD, especially the moving kind, is that, you know, the, the inclination is to put these kids in the front of the classroom. So they can be by the teacher. The teacher can stay on top of them. That's the worst place for them to be because now everybody's watching them. So if they need to fidget, everyone sees them. Put them in the back of the room and tell them, hey, if you need to stand up while I'm lecturing, go ahead. If you need to, you know, stand up and walk around your desk or you need to stretch, now you're not bothering anybody. I know you're doing it. It's okay. But now you have your own space back here that you can do those kinds of things instead of being in the front of the room where everyone is staring at the back of your head. I, I was just I was just thinking about it because I was always the kid that I needed to know where everyone was. I needed mm-hmm. I needed to be able to know what everyone was doing. So if I was at the front of the room, I'd be you know leaning around facing the wrong direction yeah. all day because I, w- I wanted to know what everyone else is doing. Uh, so I think yeah. being aware of where a student works best and where a student is able to be most successful is a huge huge tip, um, especially in the music classroom where you know, we, t- I, you know, in my classroom, I tend not to have assigned seats. Um, right. But even if it's just like, hey, they do a little bit better when they're near me, or hey, you know, they might be, do a little bit better if they have their own space. And just being aware of that and kind of setting those guidelines and letting them know what an appropriate choice is, even if it isn't necessarily the same choice as the rest of their students, can really, really do a lot of good for helping um, set up all of our students with, to, for success, honestly. Absolutely. And, you know, I think being in a music classroom, the sensory input that you get from that is so rewarding to an ADHD brain, you know, so making sure that they are able to touch and, and, and participate and, you know, be a part of that experience is huge for them. And it's a great release. It gives them a nice break from those academic times when they're having to sit and work. That release is so good for them. So those special classes are wildly important for these brains so that they can then be better focused when they go back to the classroom. 
I, I think if you bring up a really good point about the sensory input, because so many students, in, you know, with ADHD or not, they that, that sensory input is awesome. Like being able to bang on a drum, love it. Being able to, um, you know, jump around and play a game, that's an awesome choice and an awesome, um, awesome just release and, and energy and going to get those more of those dopamine hits again. But I'd also love to talk a little bit about comorbidities because I know personally myself, I also have sensory processing disorder, which can create quite a, um, a challenge in the music classroom as well. So yeah. I'd love to, love to talk about comorbidities and, you know, are there certain diagnoses that are often found um, in conjunction with the ADHD? There are, there are, and sensory processing is one. And a lot of that is because your brain has a hard time you know, filtering out things. So like sometimes loud noises, um, scratchy tags, sensory type things can, can really interfere with your ability to focus um, and can almost, I don't know, make almost create anxiety of sorts. That being said, anxiety and depression, I can't tell you how many students we see that, that actually come to us because of concerns with anxiety and depression. We find out the underlying issue is really the ADHD. They aren't, they aren't able to meet expectations or they're getting in trouble all the time. And these other things, it's just snowballed into something much bigger now. Um, but interestingly, high, high comorbidity for learning disabilities, very high. So ADHD doesn't typically travel alone. It almost always has a friend. I just think that's really interesting. Just just how things can, you know, be interrelated like that. But I'd love to talk a little bit about how this might complicate helping in a student, whether it be in the classroom, outside of the classroom, you know, when there's multiple diagnoses going on. Well, I think the very first thing is making sure that as a teacher, you know, you understand what these are and you understand how they impact the student. I think that, I think, you know, that leads to then a, a certain level of grace, kind of like you did with that student, right? Like you pulled them aside, you showed a lot of grace. Like I get what you're going through. I understand it. Here are some things to do that are going to help you. That is huge. And you saw the difference in the student the next time you saw them. So I think that is, that is really big, but I think understanding too, that how they learn is going to be a little bit different and they might need something re-explained a different way. They might need to be pulled aside um, and shown some examples. They might need to be given manipulatives. They might, you know, they might need to always have a fidget. I think the understanding, and again, no two students are exactly the same. So understanding that, being able to kind of differentiate the way that you instruct and understand that the way they learn can, can make such a difference in that student's life because now they feel like, okay, this teacher gets me. They're giving me the time. They're giving me the tools I need to learn and be successful. Um, not, um, you know, these students are struggling. And, and even if they look as if they're keeping up, they're not. Internally, they feel like they're three steps behind everybody else. If you give directions to the class, they're looking around thinking, wait, what did, what did teachers say I'm supposed to be doing? You know, so always knowing, hey, did, did you do did you need any help? Did you understand what you're supposed to be doing? Just those little things can make such a big difference to these students. What I love about every time I bring someone on to talk about, you know, helping a, a specific population of students, very rarely are the strategies that we discuss ones that aren't yeah. helpful for all. And that's what right. that's what I love about it, because it just comes down to the foundations, you know, that there are foundations of good teaching and they work yeah. and they're accessible and they, and they help remove barriers so that everyone can access the curriculum. Um, and personally, I'm just here for it. <laughs> well, and it's funny because when we, you know, when we write reports and we 
put the findings and then we always make recommendations. I'm always hesitant. You know, I feel like a lot of the things we put are just really good teach. Any good teacher should be doing these things for everybody anyway. Like I shouldn't have to list these out because this should be happening in the classroom. You know, everybody, you should be checking to make sure everybody understands what's going on. If someone doesn't understand, doesn't understand something, you should be pulling them aside to re-explain it. You know, these are things that should just, should just be happening. But they're not always. <laughs> that yeah, you bring up a good point. They sometimes they're not, and that's that's where um, th- that's part of part of my mission here with the podcast and bringing people on is is to help make sure people are just aware because I don't want um, pure and true, uh, you know accidental ignorance to be a reason why a student doesn't right. get the best education or feel feel the, the most welcome in the classroom as they could. Well, and I think you know i've I've seen ADHD, and I think this is genius is described like an iceberg. I I like to describe it as like that that duck on the water, right? Like above the water, they're smooth, they're sailing, everything looks great, but underneath those little feet are going, you know, 100 miles a minute. And that's how I feel like an ADHD student is. They may look like they've got it together, they may be in class, they may be well behaved, but inside or underneath, they are working 150 times harder than their next door neighbor peer because they are struggling so much to keep up. And so it's not always very obvious. And they're, these kids aren't the ones that are going to ask for help because you know what happens when you ask for help? Now you're responsible for doing the work. And if the work overwhelms you, you're trying to avoid it. So they're not going to raise their hand and say, hey, can you re-explain this? I don't understand this. They're just going to fake it, right? And you won't know they didn't understand it until, until the final product. And so that's why those frequent checks and just walking by their desk and, hey, do you need some help with that? Very, you know, here, let's just do this one problem. Kids with ADHD get very easily overwhelmed when there's a lot of things to do. They look at it like, you know, the the saying of, you know, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, somebody with ADHD doesn't understand the one bite at a time. They just see this elephant and they're like, no way, no way can I do this. And they need help breaking that down. So when you give the student something to do, for an ADHD student, they may think, huh, that sounds, I don't know, where do I start? What do I do first? They need help breaking it into small, manageable steps, one step at a time. You know what? Let's just do this first. Let's do this one thing first. When you're done with that, then we'll. Then I'll give you the next thing to do. That right there can make a humongous difference in their productivity for the day. Yeah, I think breaking things into to smaller chunks has been really helpful in my classroom, um, especially when you start thinking about some of the things that happen in the music classroom tend to be a little bit more of a creative answer rather than a right or wrong answer. Um, and you talk, we talked earlier about you know the, the pleasers and we they want to do right, they want to have the right answer. Well, a lot of these times, you know, there might not be a right answer. Um, so if you're not only giving them, all right, we're going to compose a song. Well, where do I start with that? That's you know, very overwhelming. No, how do I know if I'm right? You know, instead breaking it down to, all right, you're going to take an instrument. First, you're going to choose an instrument. All right, that's your first task. Mm-hmm. Then you're going to decide if you're going to put it in C pentatonic or F pentatonic or whatever. And then you're going to pick four notes and just breaking it down into smaller chunks and just making it manageable so that, again, they're already going to be dealing, students are already going to be dealing with, well, what is the right answer? Now we're just kind of removing more of those barriers of how do we approach this project and kind of model how that works. Well, and ADHD brains tend to be very black and white and creativity is not black and white. And so a creative project, whether it's, you know, creating a song, you know, writing a play, writing a paper, all of those things are very overwhelming because there is not a, you know, math is black and white. 
I got a right answer, I'm done. Creative projects are not like that. And so they do tend to get very overwhelmed. So so any kind of creative project or any kind of create creative activity or group activity, because they can also oftentimes get lost in a group. They'll let everyone else kind of run the show because they don't know it, it, they're overwhelmed. And so they're just going to go along for the ride. So I, I know we've talked a little bit about, you know, how we both have ADHD and how there are many, many adults with ADHD. How does ADHD differ from, you know, in an adult versus a child? I mean, I think it just, if you think about the differences in your, what's expected of you as a child versus what's expected of you as an adult, right? So in, as a child, you're expected, you know, to go to school and get good grades and sit in class all day. So those are where you're going to have the more difficult the more difficulties, right, in, in the day-to-day staying, getting a task done. Whereas adults, we have a lot more on our plate. We're, we're keeping up with a lot more scheduling and more time management. You know, time management for a second grader, you know, they're going to get to school on time because mom and dad are bringing them, unless mom and dad have ADHD. <laughs> then that's a whole other story. But, you know, their, their day is pretty much scheduled for them. As an adult, if I don't, if, if I want to procrastinate something, I can't, I can for the most part, right? Like if I don't want to clean my house, I don't have to, no one says I have to do it. And so you tend to have more um, social issues as an adult, more um, job difficulties. Um, a lot of people with ADHD, adults with ADHD either can't hold down a job um, or they just get bored in a job. So they skip from job to job. I mean, you can't really do that in school. If you get bored with school, you just can't leave. You're stuck there. So it's definitely more performance-based in, in a school setting. Um, you do see some social issues um, come up. It's interesting. Kids with ADHD tend to have either, or especially your more extroverted ones, tend to have a lot of friends, but not that one really tight relationship. Whereas adults with ADHD sometimes tend to have that one tight relationship, not a lot of, not a lot of surface ones, if that makes sense, um, because it's overwhelming. Um, but, but in school you have, you, you're, you're with 25 other kids all day. You know, it's easy to make those friendships kind of on the surface, but they struggle to, to develop those real deep relationships. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like for, for those executive functioning skills, which are highly, highly impacted by ADHD, we talk about things like organization and time management and planning and focus and effort and emotion regulation, um, and memory. And as a child, a lot of that is taken care of for you. You know, your day is set for you. Your schedule is set for you. You know, teachers and parents are communicating and everyone's helping. Whereas once you get into kind of that high school, college, adult, that's not happening anymore. And that independence can be, um, that's, that's actually where we see a lot of ADHD get diagnosed is because they have had all of the support. And once we set them free, especially going to college, it's like, wait, I don't have, this isn't due till Friday. And, and no one's, my mom's not watching over me. The teacher doesn't care if I get it done or not. Okay, well, I'm, I, I may just wait and do that Thursday night at midnight. Um, and so, so you see those executive functions break down so much more as, as we get older. You are describing me to a T. <laughs> I, I always joke that, you know, if it's not in my Google calendar, it's literally not going to happen because that's one of those strategies that I've used because I, like, I will be, I'm the type of ADHD person that I will show up an hour earlier because I'm afraid I'm going to be late. And mm-hmm. like, if it is not in my calendar, 
I, it's not going to happen because I've had so many times where someone asked me to do something or be somewhere and I didn't go there or I didn't show up or I didn't have it done or I didn't have the project done because I never wrote it down or I wrote it down on a piece of paper that, to, according to me, doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> like, exactly. Like one of my biggest strategies, is if it is in my Google Calendar, it's going to happen. If it's if it's in my Asana Task Manager, it's it's a product or it's it's a resource that's going to going to happen. It's, but it took me a long time to find a lot of those strategies just to get stuff done. Well, and so here's the cool thing: is that for adults and 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 for parents of kids with ADHD. There are ADHD coaches, executive function coaches that work with the parents on how to set some of these structures up in place at home to help their child develop those skills. But for an adult, um, an ADHD coach is going to help you find those strategies so that you're not um, spending hours and hours just, I mean, think about the rabbit hole. You know, you can go down trying to find just the right organizational tool, right? You That alone can take weeks of, of research because the ADHD brain is prone to rabbit holes and we go down one and we're all of a sudden now, you know, we've completely lost focus of where we started and now we're on to something else. And now we still don't have a good organizational tool. And so what coaching does is it really helps you develop those strategies to be more efficient, helps you with, they, you know, those coaches can help you develop ways to manage your time. And they do it in such a loving way because they get your brain and they know that you're going to forget and that you may not follow through because that's the ADHD kind of way. And so and they develop ways to help. Um, it's it's absolutely when we talk about treating ADHD, which we haven't really gotten there yet. But you know, it's it's very twofold. Medication can be incredibly helpful, but and it can help you focus, and it can help you get you know a task completed. But it's not going to keep you organized. It's not going to keep you managing your time. That's where the coaching comes in because those are strategies you have to learn that sadly are not taught in school. That's kind of my soapbox. I feel like we should have executive function class starting in first grade, even if it's 15 minutes a day of teaching strategies, because we don't, we don't teach kids how to organize their time, how to make a plan, how to, how to study. Um, and, and no one ever does. And so you end up trying to find your way. People without ADHD are a little bit more successful with that. Um, but that's where the coaching can be so incredibly helpful. And, and we lean on coaches. Um, we refer coaching for either parents or students for every ADHD diagnosis we make. All right. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that. You talk about coaches, but really what is, what are the options, you know, whether if, if it's an adult or, or a student, you know, what, what are the options for managing ADHD? So, you know, obviously medication is the most common, and I think medication is incredibly misunderstood, and there's lots of negative stigma about medication. A lot of people think they're, you know, giving their kids speed, um, which I guess in a very broad sense, maybe that's, you could probably lump it into that category, but it's, it's you have to look at it from more of the medical standpoint that that medication stimulates the chemicals in your brain so that you can focus on a task. You can block out the distractions. And for somebody who's impulsive or hyperactive, it, it, it really gives you a filter so that you're not yelling out answers. You're not grabbing things. You're not hitting people. You're not touching people. You're not, you know, you have that filter. Um, and so medication is, is incredibly helpful done correctly. Done through a physician, a psychiatrist is absolutely the best person to um, help you manage those medications. That's all they do all day, every day is manage medications. They understand them. They know how they work. So I highly recommend 
um, you know, working with a psychiatrist. We've always worked with our pediatrician for my son, which has been amazing as well. So if your pediatrician is comfortable with managing medication, my husband gets his from our GP. Again, comfortable with it. Great. Um, but a psychiatrist is probably the number one. Again, that, that's great. Being able to get your work done is great. But if you still can't organize your backpack or you still can't remember to bring your stuff home or to bring it back to school, it's incredibly frustrating. And that was me. You know, I did the medication. It was awesome. But I still was a hot mess organizationally. I'd still get very easily overwhelmed with things. Um, and while I could start a, a report and finish it, I was still doing it the last minute because I procrastinated. And that's where coaching then came in to give me those strategies to help me be more efficient. And so working with an ADHD coach, they're either called ADHD coach. They, some of them go by executive function coach. Um, there are lots of great resources online. And now that we've been through COVID and we've all accepted that online services are, are a good thing, um, most, a lot of them, and I would say probably the majority of them, do those services virtually. So even if you live in a small town or you live somewhere where you don't have access to somebody who can come to the house or meet with you or your child one-on-one in face-to-face, there are some amazing resources online. There are also people out there that do parent coaching to help parents of students with ADHD, how to manage discipline. Because what we find is that um, parents, you know, intuitively punish when kids mess up. I mean, right? That's what parents do. But when your child is messing up and they don't mean to, punishment's not going to work. If I didn't mean to do it, you know, punishment's meant to make you think before you act. Well, if you have impulsivity issues, it's not going to help. And parents find that they spin their wheels with punishment. So we talk, you know, those, those parent coaches will work on discipline and how to discipline and how to help um, create strategies at home and structure at home. Interestingly, the ADHD brain craves structure. We want structure. I want someone to tell me where to be when. Because by myself, I don't know that I would make it. So I I like having structure, um, and that's the the ADHD brain really does crave structure. Um, and so helping parents put those structures in place, parent coaches are, um, yeah. I mean it's 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 a great resource to have. So that way you're kind of attacking it from all angles. You've got the medication, you've got the focus, but now you've also got those executive function strategies. And honestly, the earlier you start with those, the better. Imagine getting to high school and already having great time management because you've had these strategies put in place for you from an early age that now they've just become habit. And I can't imagine that because that wasn't my life, but um, I I think it would be amazing if it had been because time management has always been an issue for me. Okay, so you've definitely piqued my interest with this coaching, but so I'm curious, is there a difference between ADHD coaching and therapy for ADHD? Yes. So when you think about therapy, so, and I, and I have done both, you know, I did therapy because I spent a lot of my life thinking I was lazy because that's what everyone told me when I was in school, right? Like I just didn't care. I didn't try hard enough. I was lazy. I had developed a lot of that depression that comes along with ADHD. So therapy helped me understand my ADHD, helped me learn how to give myself some grace, um, and help me also explain to other people and, and, explain why I do some of the things I do and, and manage those more emotional pieces that come along with ADHD. Coaching is all about the strategies. We know you have it. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to improve these skills? So I feel like counseling and therapy helps you manage the emotional sides of ADHD, where coaching is much more strategies, 
Um, not a lot of emotion tied to it. This is what we got to do. This is how we're going to do it. Now they're going to work with you to find the way that works best for you. Because my, I'm like you, I'm a Google calendar person, but somebody else with ADHD might live and die by their planner. I can go through six planners in a year and get two weeks in every one of them and never use them again. That's not how my brain works, but somebody else might. So they're going to find the right strategies that work for your brain that you know you can continue on and be successful with. So there is a little bit of difference between the two. And a lot of times having both can be really helpful if you do have a lot of emotion um, tied to your ADHD symptoms. All right, so I have another rabbit hole to go down as soon as I get off this call. I can't wait to Google all things ADHD coaching because uh, that sounds like so, something that would just be so beneficial for so many people, um, including myself. <laughs> and I think, you know, and I think that teachers understanding some of those strategies too on how to work with those kids. I think ADHD coaching like for, for a whole faculty could be really huge, right? Because again, understanding that not everybody, you know, a lot of elementary schools hand out a planner or middle schools hand out a planner to everybody. Well, that's great. But a lot of those kids, that is just not going to work for them. Yet they get punished when they don't use it correctly. Yeah, I, I would have lied. Just, I, I think a lot about, you know, I, I had a lot of great teachers growing up, but I, I think back to, to you know, just how different my educational experiences would have been had more teachers been aware and understanding of just how my brain was different. And that I was, you again, I was given a planner every year in middle school, and I mm-hmm. always lost that thing by the end of the first quarter because mm-hmm. that's just who I was. <laughs> yep, exactly, exactly. So I think you know those executive functioning skills. Now I do think you know. You can do coaching without medication, right? You can you can still develop those skills. I think it's a lot easier on medication because, again, you have the focus to to stick with it a little bit better. Um, but for people who either just don't respond well to medication, have side effects, or or just would prefer to do it more naturally, um, exercise is incredibly important um, because exercise helps with focus. Um, there is a lot of research on meditation and how much it can help with um, focus. Even I think I, I listened to another podcast where they talked about a, a, a great research study where it talked about a 13-minute meditation every day, which sounds like a really long time to meditate for somebody with ADHD. But if you can do it, it can really, if you could do that every morning, the difference it can make in your attention and focus during the day is huge. So there are other ways to help with that day-to-day focus, but those executive functioning skills, there is not another way other than just having someone work with you on strategies. All right, Lori. Well, I have loved this conversation. Before we wrap up, I have a couple like final questions. And the first one would be, sure. what is something that a teacher can do maybe by the end of this week um, to help students with ADHD either in the classroom? Grace. Grace is my word. Give them grace. Saying things like, look, I know this was hard for you. Unfortunately, we have to get it done. So let's work together on, a, on, on what... Let's come up with a strategy together on how we can get this completed for you. You know, what What do you think? I think letting the student give some input is huge. Letting them have some say in it. Like, I, I think you'd be amazed at what you'll get back. Like, gosh, it would be really great if I could come in tomorrow morning before school and meet with you. It'd be so much easier. Or, you know, I'd like to take it home. And can do you mind sending my mom a note to let her know? But if you could get the student involved in that process of brainstorming of, you know, how do I get this assignment completed that I couldn't get completed? Um, I think it would be amazing. So overall, I call that grace. Just understanding this is a struggle. How are we going to work together to help you be successful? 
I love that. And then what is something that someone might be listening that um, has ADHD and they feel like they're still kind of struggling? What's something that they could do this week um, to help them um, kind of manage their symptoms a little bit better and start to learn to, have, to live with their diagnosis more within a little bit more of a positive aspect? You know, I think um, so. I, and, uh, you know, I, there's a, um, a YouTube series called How to ADHD. Um, I can't remember the girl's name. She's amazing. I love them. I love them because they're short, because those with ADHD, short is good, and they're incredibly informative. I think knowledge is power. The more you understand your ADHD, the more you can accept it and start to kind of turn the corner, so to speak. You know, the more I understand where my struggles are, the better I can manage them. But if you don't really understand the root of them, you start to have that negative self-talk like, well, I guess I'm just lazy. I guess I'm just not that smart. I guess I'm just not that good at it. When really you probably are, it's your ADHD that's getting in the way of you being able to show what you can actually do. So understand your ADHD, watch a video. Um, the Apple TV came out with a, um, a documentary called The Disruptors this last summer that or just a couple months ago that was amazing. Watch something, learn about your ADHD and make sure that you understand it because that is what's going to help you then take the next step to get the right kind of help. What a great answer. I, I've definitely learned a lot about me and my ADHD from TikTok, even if it's just naming something that I like. I learned the, the phrase time blindness the other day, and I was like, yes, Ugh. that is definitely something that happens. So I, I think Terrible. just yeah. learning more about it is definitely something that has helped me kind of embrace it more in a, a little bit more of a loving and understanding way, even just with my own diagnosis. Well, and also really quick, you know, go join a Facebook group. Like I'm in two or three different Facebook groups for women with ADHD and just listening and reading and seeing the comments and the, it, it's so empowering. Cause I'm like, Hey, I do that too. Oh, Hey, I do that too. What a great suggestion. Like, it's just to know there's a community of people out there that are having the same struggles. It's amazing. Speaking of connecting online, I would love for you to let us know where can my listeners connect with you online? So Diagnostic Learning Services is the name of our company. Um, we have an online platform, ediagnosticlearning.com. And that's where we can do um, evaluations uh, virtually. Um, and uh, yeah, that's the best place to find us. All right. Thank you so much for chatting with me. I could go on for hours. My hyperfixation <laughs> is a little high right now, um, but I don't want to waste or take all of your evening. Um, so thank you so much for chatting with me. And I can't wait to share this interview with my audience. Well, absolutely. Thank you for doing what you're doing. I mean, getting this kind of information out to, to teachers everywhere is huge. And I, I love, I love your platform. I love what you're doing. This is, this is good work. Thank you so much, Laurie.